0: The beginning of this year, on January 1st of this year, we started a series that we're working through during the school holidays. As we work through this series, we're looking through the book of Colossians. I'm going to give you a little bit of background in just a few moments' time. And what we're doing through the school holiday periods is we are seeking to discover what it is that this book is written for and what it's written about and how we can apply this to our lives today. Something that was written almost 2,000 years ago is still so incredibly relevant and applicable to our lives when I mean, this message is no different. The challenge through this series is that we will discover identity in Christ alone. And that phrase in Christ alone is incredibly important because there's so many various things that are vying for our attention. There's so many possible places that you could be today, but God has brought you here. There's so many various things that are vying for our attention and drawing us away from what it is that God has called us to do and called us to be. But foundationally, people try to find their salvation and place their hope of eternity in many, many different things. And what we find in the Word of God, the Bible, is that it's not in my good works, it's not in my righteousness, it's not in my religion or my family heritage, my bank account or my education. It is in Christ and Him alone. And you imagine hearing those words for the first time in a society that is totally opposite? We can kind of see that in our world today. When being a Christian is, you are the odd one out. You are the unusual one. In the book of Colossians, chapter number three, we see verses one and verse 10, where it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And it goes on in verse 10, put on The new self, that is our new identity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. If Jesus Christ has saved us, we're no longer the old people we used to be. Now we have been given a new identity. And the beauty of that is we no longer have to live the old way any longer. We no longer have to be subject to the things around us. Now we are subject and freedom in the things of God. And this is totally opposite of what society was in the city of Colossae 2000 years ago. But you can see the similarity in our world today. The things we find in the word of God, the way that we're living our new life and our new self is totally opposite to the way that our society looks today. So there's some things in this book here that we can absolutely apply to our lives. And there's some reminders that we learn. Our principle for today is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we try to apply to our life. And it is in Christ I can know and live the truth. It's wonderful to know it, But now we also have the privilege of living it out, rather than just knowing it and then living a different way. Let me give you a little bit of background of this book. This book, according to theologians, was written about A.D. 62. It was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he had spent three years in that region around where Colossae is, but he had actually never been to Colossae and this is in modern-day Turkey, and about 160 kilometers away from Colossae was the big city of Ephesus, where the apostle Paul had spent three years established a church. People had been saved and baptized, and a strong church had been developed there. Then they sent out people, and they started other churches. There's one in Laodicea, one in Colossae, and the Apostle Paul knew these people by reputation, but had never actually met them in person. And then he'd gone off and become arrested, and he was actually under house arrest in Rome at this time. And history tells us that he actually never is released from this. He ends up dying somewhere. Where the, the Bible doesn't explain what happens with the Apostle Paul. But he's writing during this time, and he's writing letters to various churches to encourage them. And the book of Colossians is just like that. One of the pastors from Colossae, a man named Epaphras, had gone to visit the Apostle Paul and sought advice from him because he says there's some real problems in the church. There's some false teachers have come, and what they're teaching sounds so good, but it doesn't align with what we find in Scripture. So that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this book. He's writing it as a warning to them. He's writing them to tell them, watch out, because what you're doing is you're slowly walking away from the truth. And it's a small compromise after a small compromise. And what they were fighting against, theologically, was a theology called Gnosticism. Gnosticism literally means to know. And it's a, a greater enlightenment, The theology behind that was Jesus is a good man. He did great things, but he wasn't actually God. He was just spiritually God, but he wasn't actually God in the flesh. And that right there is foundational to our faith, because if Jesus Christ is not God, he is not our Savior, and we are without hope. And so Paul had recognized this. And he was writing to them to warn them. You ever heard of the game called telephone? It's been known by other names in the past where you whisper something, a little phrase into someone's ear, and then they'll whisper it into someone else's ear, and they'll whisper it into someone else's ear. And by the end of the rung, depending on how large the class is, we just played in school, you end up with something totally different at the end. And you, and of course, it's a good laugh. And that's exactly in the sense of what's happening here. They are being taught something that is absolutely true. And then they're rehearsing it and it's changing a little bit, changing a little bit, changing a little bit, changing a little bit. And now they need a letter to say, here's what is actually in the proverbial black and white. Here's what is actually true. And so we can go back to what is true rather than living in a compromised theology. Because I don't believe Satan cares about a church that meets that doesn't believe that Jesus is God. They will, he would be happy for them to meet together because he knows they're not going to be making an impact. The people's lives are not going to be changed by the gospel when Jesus Christ's name is not proclaimed. So Paul writes, and he says in chapter number one, verse 25. I became a minister. In other words, he's saying there, everything that I am doing is based upon this. This is why I do what I do. You go to work. Why do you go to work every day? And I know many of you are thinking in your minds, because I have bills to pay, the kids keep eating. Nothing, if you notice, nothing is getting cheaper, like nothing's getting cheaper. I go to work because I have bills to pay. I have a holiday to save up for. I'm looking forward to this. I have a car. I have a boat. Whatever it is, your motivation from going to work. Well, the Apostle Paul said, I am a minister. He says, I go to work every day for what? And he says, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God Fully known. I like the fact that he says fully known. He says, I don't want you to know it. I want you to absolutely, completely know it. I want you to know what is true and live what is true. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul then goes on in verses 28 and 29 to begin to explain who they are. And he's setting them up. And in fact, chapter number two and the first five verses that we're looking at lines up perfectly with the previous chapter, and it's really one thought that's working its way through. So this is setting a foundation for what we're going to talk about today. He says this, Him we proclaim, that is Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the goal is spiritual maturity. For this I toil, Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He says, I'm using all of Christ's energy to make sure that you are growing in your faith. And he goes on in verses one through five of chapter number two, which we're going to look at this morning. So if you're Bibles, I would encourage you to follow along and see in the Bible what we're talking about today. Verse number one says this, for I want you to to know he's writing here a very practical letter and you can imagine the emotion behind this he loves them from afar earlier in this book he's promised he says every time i think about you i pray for you and he tells them exactly why and what he prays for and why he prays for them he is invested in these people and he's writing a letter to them, and he says, I want you to know. Now, today, we get messages all the time. We get spam messages. We get junk mail in our letterbox. And it's easy to flip through things and go, yep, 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 bill, 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 add, 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 junk mail, junk mail, junk mail. And go through and just go, or if we look through our emails and go, spam, 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 spam. This time... Getting news from Rome was very unique. Receiving a letter written on parchment wasn't cheap. That would have been very expensive for them to receive. So when they received this letter, it wasn't like, oh, just another letter. We'll add it to the pile. I'll get to it on Monday. This would have been something they all would have gathered around. And now Paul is writing and saying, I want you to know this. And you can imagine all the people would lean forward. And think, what does he want us to know? And the same thing for you and I today. What is it that God wants us to know? We live in a world where wrong is seen as right and right is seen as wrong. Whereas believers in Jesus Christ, we're seen as people that are odd, that are different. So let's see what he says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Laodicea was a town about 15 kilometers away. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he goes on in verse number four. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Where? In Christ. He again reminds them of where their faith lies. This book is filled with practical and relevant teaching for their lives. But you know what? I believe we can apply this to our lives today because some of the same struggles they were struggling with 2,000 years ago, we're struggling with today. And if we can apply these and set these as a foundation in our lives, we're going to know what is true and be able to move forward in our new life and our new identity in Christ. Let me read verses 4 and 8 because here's the warning. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You ever been with someone that argues and argues and argues and he goes, you know what? Maybe they're right. Verse number eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's giving them a warning, so let's find out why he's warning them. The first point, in fact, all three points is we need to know, there's three things. We need to know comfort from Christ, we have community in Christ, and also we find confidence through Christ. So the first point this morning is comfort from Christ. And we see that in verse number two, that their hearts may be encouraged. When you are low... And when you don't see the end, and maybe you are in a position right now when you feel like you're stuck, if it's financially or it's uh, relationally or it's job-wise or educationally, you feel stuck and you cannot see the end. It's a really dark time when you're just going through the motions of life. Day after day, sometimes year after year, decade after decade. And Paul's saying here is, you can find encouragement. That word encouragement is a different word that's used in many other places that's translated as encouragement. It literally means to be comforted. Another way of saying it is to be embraced. It's kind of like saying, don't worry, in your heart you can find a hug. You can find comfort. Isn't that a beautiful way to look at it? When you're feeling like you're overwhelmed, you feel like you're the only one at your work or your, your school, and you feel like no one understands, he says here, I want you to know that in your hearts that you can be comforted. You can be hugged. It's beyond the circumstantial and it goes into the spiritual. This goes into our spiritual life because your circumstances may not change. You may continue to be in a very dark workplace or a very dark school, and you think, I'm the only one here. But you know what it says here? You can be spiritually hugged and embraced, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to be with you. And it goes from being a circumstance to being something spiritual. We also see we can find comfort through the prayer for and from others. It says in chapter 1, verse 9, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We remove the focus off of ourselves and off of our immediate circumstances and understand that we're part of something bigger and greater than ourselves, which is the underlying theme of today's entire message. One of my personal in great encouragements is to know that you're prayed for. That's one of the reasons why I had the, the youth leaders and youth stand up Because I want them to to know, I want you to know that you are being prayed for. And something's encouraging about that. I know that my grandmother, who passed away last year, prayed for me all the time because she told me so. There's a little lady in a place called Winter Haven, Florida, where um, a couple of my children were born. And I worked with Tammy at a church for several years right after Bible college. And there's a little Mexican lady who, without exaggeration, is maybe four foot one. And she makes amazing Mexican food, like authentic tortillas. And she grabbed my hand before we left the United States in 2009 and we're returning to Australia to be here. She grabbed my hand with her thick accent and says, Michael, she's a lovely soft lady, but she was gruff. Michael, I pray for you every day. I have never forgot that. And she's still alive and she's elderly and she's she's not able to do the thing physically that she was able to do before. But the last time I saw her several years ago, she says, I still pray for you. you know how encouraging that is. And the same thing we find here. We find comfort from Christ in the fact that we're not doing this on our own. We can pray for one another. That's why the connection cards are so powerful and so helpful is that it's a way to communicate. I am happy to receive texts, but don't just send them to me. Send them to other people as well and allow a church family to pray for you and pray with you through the the difficult times. The opposite of that is we become inwardly focused rather than outwardly focused. And finish the sentence, Misery loves Company. It's good. it's good. If I ever ask you another other questions, answer with vigor. OK, company. Maybe you are miserable. Misery loves company. The opposite of being with being outwardly focused is we are inwardly focused and we just like to be miserable. And that's not what we really need to be or really want to be. So what we find here is he says, I need you to know that you find comfort in prayer for others, but also in the presence of others. We're called to live in community. Congratulations for being in church today. And congratulations for for being part of the body of Christ today. In verse number five, it says, Though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit. There's something wonderful about knowing that you're going through life and you're not by yourself. Jesus Christ started the church not because he felt that we we didn't have enough things to do during the week. He goes, you know what? I think I'm going to call people to meet together every Sunday and worship me because I just think that they need to meet together. Jesus Christ died of the church because he knows that we need the encouragement. We need to be together in fellowship and we can be both a blessing and receive blessings as a result. Because being alone is scary doesn't matter where you are. The scariest thing in the world is the unknown. And when you're going through the unknown all by yourself, it's extra scary. And thank God that we're not called to live life on our own or in our own strength or in our own power. So we see, first of all, we need to know comfort from Christ. But also we have the joy of community in Christ. That passage in verse number two continues and says being knit together in love the opposite of being knit together in love is being divided in conflict and any time i'm only speaking hypothetically here any time that i'm anticipating conflict in my home i don't want to go home Hypothetically speaking, of course, don't get me in trouble with my wife, but when you anticipate conflict, it's not like, well, I can't wait to go home today because we're going to fight. Hypothetically speaking, The opposite of being knit together in love is being divided in conflict. And we don't find that at all here. We find the opposite. We're being brought together. He says, I want you to know comfort, but I also want you to know and enjoy community in Christ. And the beauty of that is we're being brought together in love. And I've said this many times in the past, and I'll say it again. What brings us together is not our family heritage or our sports teams or our likes and our dislikes. It's not our skin color. It's all the various things that could possibly divide us. What brings us together is Jesus Christ and his salvation. In the book of Acts, it records the church Directly after Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended up to heaven, and the church began and launched. And the day of Pentecost was the day of when Peter preached when 3,000 people came to know Christ as their Savior and they began to meet together regularly as a, as a body. And of course, that body was expanding and growing, and there was excitement there with a sense of anticipation. But there was also incredible persecution during that time. And it wasn't like, oh, you're a Christian. All oh, your problems are solved. There was serious issues going on, not just in, in Jerusalem, but later on as the church expanded. And it goes from a small group of 120 people hiding in an upper room to being a, a few weeks later, being a, a huge church. And it says in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 44, and all who believed were Together, in other words, being knit together in love and had all things in common. There was a sense of anticipation, excitement. The people, certain people, went and sold property in order to help people, and they were working and giving. They were eating together. They were doing life together as they were learning about the things of God. And that sense of belonging, a sense of anticipation, was liberating and fun. You can't imagine the Apostle Peter standing up and going, okay, we need volunteers right now, and there being awkward silence. You can't imagine Peter going, do you know what? We need someone to help in practical ways. And there being crickets in the background. There was excitement at that time. And as similar as they, they grow, they begin to grow out of their spiritual immaturity. And just like physical immaturity, where we are self-centered and self-focused, spiritual immaturity is the same. We are self-centered, self-focused. And as they grew and continue to grow into spiritual maturity, they became outwardly focused as opposed to being inwardly focused. They sought to be unifiers. They sought to be peacemakers. They saw needs and fulfilled the needs. And the Apostle Paul is challenging them and encouraging this church in Colossae to remember how it used to be and when they first learned the gospel. When they first heard this transformation in their lives. You see, we we are together in love but also We have opportunities for love. I believe Jesus Christ started the local church because he wanted us to be unified together. He wanted us to be a body that we can care for one another. But also, have you noticed the impact that we can make together is so much greater than the impact that we can make by ourselves? And when we try to live in our own strength and our own power, we we try to do good things. But together we can accomplish so much more. I want to encourage you in regards to our our missions, our church, you give faithfully. And it's so much fun to see how we're able to give to missions every month. We give, uh, over and above our regular tithes and offerings, we give that to missions. We give that to the Paneros uh, who are serving in the South Pacific, and they're expanding their ministry beyond just Vanuatu into the South Pacific, and you have a part in that. The people that come to Christ as their Savior in Vanuatu and the South Pacific, and they're they're expanding their ministry into the Bible translation work, and the excitement of what's going to take place as a result is you have a part in that. We have a church that we, we support with Dwayne and Valerie Keith, which are out of our church, and they've started a church in Alchemist, the Haven Baptist Church, and that church is thriving, and I'm so pleased at how God's, God's working there. And you know what? We support them, and we're part of that, and not just financially, but prayerfully behind them. But also in our local church, there's opportunities. I'm going to give you a little commercial break for a moment. There's opportunities with connect groups and connect groups are a way to build together, to be knit together in love. And there's information in your bulletin about that. There's opportunities to serve both in public ways, but also behind the scene ways. And w- as a church family, we don't do a lot of, of cornering. It, honestly, sometimes I think it would be easier if we just cornered you and says, you know, thus saith the Lord, you're going to do this. But that's not the way we, we do things. So we're going to let God work on your hearts, but there's opportunities. In your bulletin, there's a little QR code that says, Hello, my name is Opportunity, that little thing. And you can go on that QR code, and there's different opportunities to serve. We will not throw you in the deep end. We'll train you and develop you and we'll resource you. And maybe God's doing something in your heart and life, and you've been wondering, you know, I've always wanted to try that. Well, come try it and let us live this out. Because you imagine the Apostle Paul writing this and people going, we want to have opportunities for love, and they go, mm, no thanks. We all want to be the receivers of it. Let's also be the givers. So I, so I look forward to getting a bunch of emails about those QR codes that you're filling out right now. You can get your phone out if you want to and take the picture. We need to know comfort. The Apostle Paul says We need to know community together. But also, he says, we need to know confidence. And that confidence is not through our church ability, not through your pastor, not through your ability. It is confidence through Christ. And when we are comforted and when we're in community, it helps us to live with confidence because we're correctly focused. There's a rich treasure. In fact, that's the way that the Apostle Paul describes it as he's writing this passage. He describes it as as riches and as a treasure. And that rich treasure and that confidence is something that really money cannot buy. This is a confidence as a spiritual confidence, not a physical confidence. And the beautiful thing is when we live in the spiritual, the natural thing is, these physical follows afterwards, but we cannot try to be confident in our physical and try to make that spiritual. We try that. People work hard, and I encourage you to work hard and to pay your bills, but don't become confident, overconfident in your bank account or in your job security. Find your confidence through Jesus Christ, and the other things will follow. It says in verses 2 and 3, to reach the riches of full assurance that word assurance is full understanding you are truly confident in this of understanding and the knowledge of god's mystery which is christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge paul here is explaining something that you probably have read before or at least the concept is kind of obvious When we know Christ our Savior, our confidence is in Him. And we go, okay, I know that already. Let's move on. I want you to stop for just a moment because so often we hear things and we know things in our head, but it doesn't translate into our active life. And we hear things, and maybe you've been in church for many years. Like I've grown up attending church. I've heard the gospel and the gospel, and I've heard messages like this before. And we go, all right, I know that already. Good thing. I wonder who needs this. I'm a fan of the Farside comics. And the Farside Comics with Gary Larson talks about dogs and he says, what we say to dogs. Okay, Ginger, I've had it. You stay out of the garbage understand ginger, stay out of the garbage or else. And what ginger hears is blah, 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 ginger, blah, 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 ginger, blah, 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 ginger. And of course, if you're a cat owner, and maybe, I don't know, are you anyone cat lovers here? Uh, it's like, well, Fluffy, you've clawed the furniture one last time. I'll not tolerate that behavior anymore. And of course, what cat's here? <laughs> and maybe that's, somewhat the way you find yourself. You heard the message before and all you're hearing is your name, blah, 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 blah. Or you hear nothing. And that's not the way we're supposed to be at all. When we hear about the confidence we live through Christ, What we're called to do is have an, there's two things, an intellectual understanding. That's where the word in that passage literally says understanding. That is our head knowledge. When you have an intellectual understanding and you can put things together, you understand. But there's lots of things that we can know about the word of God. We can know about the Christian life that we have no intention of actually living out. That's where it goes to head knowledge. But then we want to make that practical knowledge. Another way of saying that would be heart knowledge. So we go from head knowledge to heart knowledge. That right there is going to make an impact in our community. As a husband and as a father, the head knowledge alone will not change my children's life, will not grow my marriage close and knit together in love. It will not unify a church. It will not serve our our local church and serve our community. Head knowledge alone will leave you frustrated. And head knowledge alone will leave you leaving every Sunday going, thank you very much, that was nice. And exactly the same way as you arrived. We have to allow God through Christ to give us confidence it's not confidence in our ability. It's confidence through Christ. And then it goes to heart knowledge. And that's where we begin to change. And that's where we begin to make an impact. And let me just go through a few things you probably already know head knowledge-wise. And if you don't know these things... In fact, even if you do, I would encourage you to sign up for the the Bible study on Friday nights because it's going to be very practical and helpful going from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And that's the real focus of what those Grow Bible studies are all about. Let me give you an example. Jesus is 100% God. How does your life change when you go from a head knowledge to heart knowledge? You begin to look at the world around you in a very different way. We understand that Jesus loves you. It goes from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And we understand that Jesus loves us. That changes everything. Everything it gives you value, it gives you purpose, it gives you an ability to impact others because he loves you and he loves others. Also, it goes from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. Jesus died for your sins and we have salvation. Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. And we read that, we study that in the Bible, we go, okay, I have a a cognitive understanding that Jesus right now is making intercession. So when we pray, he's interceding on our behalf. You go from a heart knowledge, that changes the way that we pray. No longer are we praying rote, emotionless prayers. Now we're talking directly to God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit in the authority of Jesus' name. That changes our prayer life. And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know this. Go from your head knowledge to your heart knowledge. And we believe in our heads, Jesus will provide all our needs. How does that look practically? Or even the things like, this church belongs to Jesus. And we believe in our heads, but how does that look in our lives? That impacts the way that we, we prepare ourselves before we come to this church, knowing this is Jesus' church. And even the fact that Jesus is returning one day. You can get all the charts, and I would encourage you to study out the end times. And eschatology is a, is a rewarding study. But then you go from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, and you recognize that we live in a world that is going to end anytime. It changes the way that we look at our time, the way we look at our finances, the way we look at our loved ones and say, I better tell them about Jesus today because we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. And as we look through the Apostle Paul writing this, he's writing as a man filled with emotion. And he's writing saying, I want you to know, if you can imagine Paul grabbing you by your, your shoulders and saying, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to know, and it says in verse number five, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And he says, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So as you go out this week, you're going to have the temptation to not live in the comfort of Christ to not live in the community of Christ to not live in the confidence of Christ so let's Allow the knowledge that you have and the knowledge that you'll learn this week as you read your Bible to go from head knowledge to heart knowledge and imagine the difference it's going to make in your life, in your family's life, and in your community's life, and even within our local church's life as we begin to serve differently and live differently as a result.